0: Well, church, please open up your Bibles with me to Psalm 133, as this morning we're going to pause our Ten Commandments uh, series uh, to celebrate this special day by considering some truths about unity and true community. And to give you a quick look ahead as to where uh, what the upcoming preaching schedule is going to be, next week uh, I will finish up our Ten Commandments series. Uh, The following two weeks, Pastor Kevin will be preaching, uh, and then starting after that, we'll start into the Book of Galatians. And so that's where we are going uh, in our preaching schedule. But today, in light of it being a special day in which we acknowledge the Lord's goodness to us in giving us this community of faith. Um, Let's look at Psalm 133, and this psalm seemed like the word that we needed to, to hear and to remember this morning. Because church, you see, the Lord desires for us to live in community with one another. For we were created in the image of a Trinitarian God, one God and three persons, who has existed throughout eternity in a perfectly united community with Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we were created to reflect and represent that perfect image of community to the world around us. And yet it has far often, far too often been said and far too often been true. That to dwell above with saints in love, that will indeed be glory, but to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. I was about to say no one amen that. Did I get a, a little amen over here? Don't amen that one. But that's real. It is real. We all feel that. We all know that. The idea of living in community with one another, it sounds glorious until... Real life happens. And church, six years gathering together is long enough for real life to happen. Real life gets messy and dirty, and people can hurt us, and we can hurt them. And the community that was supposed to sharpen us and make us more loving people on fire for the Lord, it sometimes leaves us wounded. And can make us bitter people, with hearts growing cold for the Lord and for others. In fact, I know that many of you, before you came to this church, you were were actually on the verge of just about being done with church altogether. I mean, you love Jesus, but his girl is crazy, (laughs) You love everything about Jesus, but you're just not sure about his choice in brides. Like, really, Lord, these, these people? And so even now, maybe some of you, you, you're giving this church thing one more chance with Franklin City Church. But if it doesn't go well here, then you're probably thinking you just might be done with church for good, or at least trying to live in true community with people. And so if that's you this morning, please hear me out. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on living in true community with one another. Because what we will see today is that God has commanded many of his blessings to be poured out in the context of community. God has commanded many of his blessings to be poured out and experienced in the context of true community. And so to miss out on that community is to miss out on so many of the blessings that God has for us. And many of you, you have experienced some of those blessings these last six years through living in and being a part of this community of faith. But but my charge for us today is to, church, let us be eager to maintain, let us be eager to cultivate true community here so that more and more people can experience and enjoy the context in which God pours out so many of his blessings upon us. So let's pray and let's ask for the Lord's help in this. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you like this wonderful, sweet song in, in Psalm 133. Father, may you open up our eyes to the truth. May our, may our hearts be open to receive it. And Lord, may it bear fruit in our lives. May it, may it bear fruit in the community that is known and experienced and cultivated here. And so we ask for your help, Lord. We ask for your help. May you continue what you have started here for your glory and for our good. And Lord, for those that are on the verge of wanting to give up on community, Lord, may you comfort them and strengthen them today. May you give them a renewed vision for what true community can look like in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 133, look with me now at Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is a, is a song of ascents written by David, and we don't know exactly when David wrote this. Some, some speculate that it was when the Lord finally gave David a united kingdom um, after all his strivings with, with Saul and all the divisions were done, and the nation of Israel was unified under his leadership. Um, That would make sense, but we honestly, we don't know for sure when he wrote it, but what we do know is that we do know when this psalm was sung by the people. It was a song of ascents, and these were the songs that were sung as the people of Israel traveled up to Jerusalem for the festivals and the feasts that God commanded for them to celebrate together. And so as, people, as the people of Israel traveled to Jerusalem, one of the songs they would sing would be Psalm 133. And so as we're reading this, imagine people coming from all over, from all different parts of the land. They're coming together to unite together in Jerusalem and ultimately at the temple. And they would sing this song, Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, not only was this song sung by the Israelites ascending to Jerusalem for festivals, But we also know that this was a song that was sung when the Israelites returned from exile. They returned back to the land that God had promised them. And not only that, we know that this was a song that was sung by the early church, made up of Jews and Gentiles who had been brought together in Christ. You see, the people initially who sang this song initially coming together in Jerusalem, um, they couldn't see at that time how this song was going to be fulfilled in Christ. For it is because of the work of Christ that not just one nation can come together to dwell in unity with one another, but it is in Christ that the nations, plural, are coming together to sing together and to dwell in unity together. This song was pointing forward to the day that a Christ-centered community could be experienced. And church, that is what we get to enjoy today, a Christ-centered community. And one of the reasons I can say that is because many scholars agree that that David wrote this song in the structure of of a chiasm, now, a chiasm, it's a, it's a literary device that is used to draw attention to a central or pivotal idea in the middle of the text with, with parallel elements sandwiching the main point. And so it's supposed to draw you in to the, to the middle aspect that is the main point of the text. And so we'll put that outline up on the screen today. Uh, most scholars agree that, that this text can be outlined with, we see it starting and ending with a blessing. We then see parallel accounts of, of comparison to uh, comparing unity to, with oil and then with dew. But at the, the center part of this passage is the ministry of the high priest. And we can leave this up for a second here. Um, I wouldn't usually show you behind the curtain. uh, I wouldn't usually give away kind of my big, powerful point of the text so early on in the sermon. But we've got a picnic to go to, so let's just get to it, okay? I'm just going to lay all my cards out on the table. The blessings of God... The blessings that he pours out in the context of community, the blessings of eternal life, the blessings of good and pleasant unity that are enjoyed amongst people in the context of community, those blessings only come to the people of God through the ministry of the high priest. And if you were here when we preached through Hebrews, you learned that Aaron was a high priest for the people of God. But he was ultimately pointing us to our great high priest. And Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. This psalm, Psalm 133, is fulfilled by the ministry of Jesus. This psalm is all about him. So let's go through it now together. Look with me at verse 1. Psalm 133 verse 1 starts with the word, behold. Behold. This is a word you say when you want someone to stop and gaze at something glorious. Stop and just consider for a second. Look at something glorious, and he he wants us to behold something that is glorious. It's something rare. It's something that's precious. It's something that's sacred. And he describes what he wants us to behold as something that is both good and pleasant. Good and pleasant. Now, there are not many things in life that are both good and pleasant. We've got our preschoolers in here this morning, okay? Okay. We're glad to have, have the preschoolers in here. Think, think with me for a second about some vegetables or things that you don't, you know they're good, but they're not always pleasant, right? On the other hand, dessert is very pleasant, but not always good in large quantities, except on a celebration Sunday like today. Everyone is expected to eat dessert today. But not everything in life is both good and pleasant, but when you behold brothers and sisters dwelling in unity, God's word says this is both good and pleasant. This is a good thing to behold, to behold brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. This is good and this is pleasant. When God created the world, in the very beginning, When he commanded nothing to be something, and the nothing obeyed. Everything he created, he saw, he said that it was good. But the first thing God said was not good, was for man to be alone. If human beings are created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have enjoyed perfect community with one another for eternity, then it would make sense that human beings are created for community. And this is not just talking about marriage here. This is pointing to the community that we have as the communion of saints. We are created for community. We are created to belong. We are created to know and be known by one another. And God has said that it is not good for man to be alone. And yet when sin entered into the world, we see disunity start to divide people and isolate people and separate people. And this started in Adam's relationship first with Eve, but then they start having kids. And pretty much the entire book of Genesis is about how sin causes brothers to not dwell in unity with one another. That's pretty much what we see all throughout Genesis. We see brothers not dwelling in unity. Think about Cain and Abel. Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob, Joseph and his brothers. You think about the writer of this psalm, David and his brothers. You think about later in life with David's family and his sons and all the division and strife that was there. And so, yes, I think we can all agree that it is good and pleasant when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. But because of sin, church, we also need to see just how rare and special it is. It is a rare, because of sin, the existence of sin in our world, it is a rare and special thing for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity with one another. And in our own strength, it doesn't even seem possible, if we're honest. And we can look through the history of Scripture, we can look through the history of the world, and we can say, yeah, in our own strength, I don't think it is possible, And church, unity and true community is not possible if not for the ministry of our high priest. If not for the ministry of our high priest. And so look now at verse 2 in this psalm. Verse 1 is the verse that we all, as modern-day Americans, get, and we put on coffee mugs, and then it gets to verse 2 and 3. and We don't really understand the context. It starts getting weird, talking about beard oil and stuff like that, okay? So stick with me now. Verse 2 because he goes into two illustrations that can be a little confusing for us if we don't understand the context. So speaking of brothers dwelling in unity, David then writes in verse 2, It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Brothers and sisters dwelling in unity with one another. Is like the precious anointing oil that was used to set the high priest apart and consecrate him for holy purposes. This was a very uh, special, costly oil. It cost someone something to make this wonderful, precious oil. Dwelling in unity together is something that is precious, church. It is valuable. It cost our high priest a great amount to purchase. It is special. It is sacred. And those that experience it are set apart for holy purposes in this world. True unity is something that sets the people of God apart when their unity comes directly from the ministry of their high priest. Look at what David repeats twice in this psalm. He says that this precious and sacred unity, it's like oil that starts at the head and is running down on the beard of Aaron. It's, he repeats it again, running down on the collar of his robes. You see, this unity, it starts at the head and it runs down to the entire body. And church, this is fully fulfilled with Christ, who is the head of the church. And our unity starts with him. And then it runs down to all parts of the body of Christ through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so here is, here is the, a glorious truth for the church. God does not call us to create unity. God does not call us to manufacture unity, to buy unity. He says, no, it cost someone something, but that someone was Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And it was Jesus who created this unity for us. It was Jesus who broke down the dividing walls of hostility between us and God and between one another. So that now in Ephesians, Paul can write to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, you don't need to go create this unity. He says, no, with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, you can now be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, church, Christ himself is the one who is our peace. He is the one who's broken down these dividing walls of hostility. Christ created our community, and it cost him his life. But we are now called to cultivate community. We are now called to maintain the unity that's already been purchased for us. Christ created this unity. It's running down from him. And now we cultivate unity and community. But church, true unity is really only experienced when Christ is at the center, when it's running down from him. A Christ-centered community is really the only community that experiences true unity because it is a unity that has flowed down to us in Christ. You see, you can be part of lots of other communities. Uh, com- communities are not just uh, unique to the church. You can be parts of uh, other types of communities. Right now, there's a community of people gathering at Lucas Oil Stadium around their love of the Colts. And they've got community there. The question is, is that true unity? Is that, true, is that the unity that is like the precious anointing oil of the high priest? Is that the unity that is so precious and sacred that it sets people apart for the purposes of God in the world? Is that the unity that Christ gave his life so that we could have? There are other types of communities that you can be a part of that are not Christ-centered communities. You can be part of a community that rallies around the preferred method to educate children. You can be part of a community that rallies around a preferred curriculum for children. You can be part of a community that rallies around certain hobbies and certain activities and certain sports. You can be a part of a community that rallies around their favorite opinions And they might even gather in a church building on Sunday mornings. And they're nice and polite with people, and they're cordial with them, and everyone looks alike, talks alike, and thinks alike, and they have the same opinions as you, and you feel comfortable there. But the question is, is that the unity that Christ died for? Is that the unity that Christ purchased for us? Is that the unity that Christ created and now flows down to us by the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, I think we settle too easily for community that was not created by Christ or centered on Christ. We know that our hearts long for this idea of community, but we settle too quickly to just be around like-minded people who share maybe certain interests, but we never really dig in to experience the unity that Christ created, the unity that Christ purchased for his church. Because you see, church, the community that is created by Christ is diverse. For Christ has called people from all walks of life and all seasons of life and from, from all socioeconomic classes and from all nations of the earth, and he has poured out on them the Holy Spirit who has gifted them all differently. And as Dwayne has shared with me before, unity, not uniformity, is what the body of Christ is to be about. Now the good news, church, is that I believe We are experiencing this here. I do believe we are. I I believe that true unity, the the true unity that has been created by Christ and purchased by Christ, uh, I believe we are experiencing a Christ-centered community here. But the danger, the danger, and my word of warning for us as we look to the future is that we must be eager to maintain and to cultivate the unity that is here. And that means we must be eager to be centered on Christ. And we can't settle for some of these lesser communities that are more comfortable for us or more easier to obtain. Because you see, many churches lose their way when they go from a Christ-centered community to simply a community of people who are unified around something else other than Christ. Christ must be what unifies us, church. We must not allow allow anything lesser to be what ultimately unifies us. It must be Jesus Christ and our love for him and our desire to follow after him and to be like him and to know him and to enjoy him and to tell about him. And so if we ever are able to look around a worship gathering, or if we are ever able to look around a city group, and if we look around the room and say, you know what, even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I think these would all still be the people I would hang out with. Because they look like me, talk like me, think like me, and they make me feel comfortable. Church, if we ever get to that point, we are in danger of settling for something less than true unity. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead should absolutely change and affect everything about who we do life with and how we do life with them. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead should absolutely change who is in this room and how we relate to them. If we ever look around in our life and who we're doing life with and think, yeah, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I would just be with these people anyway, I'm telling you, we are starting to settle for something less than what God has for us. The good news is, I think we are on our way to seeing, man, we've got a lot of, we do have a decent amount of diversity here from people from different walks of life and different backgrounds and different ages. And, and the thing that unites us all together is Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we, we probably wouldn't be is unified as we are. And so church, we're, we're off to a good start, but let us, let us remember what truly unifies us. Let us not let lesser things be the main thing that we're centered on. True unity is really only experienced in a Christ-centered community because it runs down to us from our great high priest. Now, here's another thing about this unity that is experienced in a Christ-created, Christ-centered community. It is abundant. Notice the oil here in this psalm. This is not just a few drops of oil. This is not just a couple drops on the forehead type of oil. This is an abundant amount of oil being poured out on the head, through the beard, down onto the collar, all over the robes. This is precious oil. This is sacred oil. But this oil, there's an abundance of it. And you see, church, there is more than enough Christ-centered community to go around. And here's where we need to remember this. Because as we grow... And every time we talk about multiplying a city group, every time we talk about adding a service or going to a larger gathering place, there's something in many of us that is hesitant to change because we like the Christ-centered community we're experiencing now, but if we open it up to others, will there still be enough for me? Now, none of you say that out loud, but I know you're thinking it, and I think it sometimes too. If we allow more people to be part of this community, will there still be enough for me? If 10 more people join the church and they hang out with the people I like to hang out with, and I don't get to hang out with them as much, will there still be enough Christ-centered community for me? And here's where we need to understand, church, the unity of that flows down to us from Christ is more than enough for you, and it's more than enough for me. Don't be afraid to make room for others to enter in. There is more than enough Christ-centered community for you if you are open to it. Now, if you've, if you've turned your group or click into a, a club that's centered around something other than Christ, yeah, maybe there is limited amount of community that can be experienced there, but there is more than enough Christ-centered community to go around. Christ has abundantly poured this out on his church. We need not be fearful to open up our arms to welcome more people into this. Now, here's something else about the anointing oil it gave off a wonderful fragrance. You can go back in Exodus and read all the the mixtures that were in this holy anointing oil. But it it was something that smelled pleasant. When the oil was poured out, a wonderful fragrance and a pleasing aroma was in the air. And church, you see, this is one of the ways we proclaim the gospel to the world around us. They should be able to smell something different about us. At the park today, and not just the good food that we have prepared, although that might be what they smell first. But they should be able to see our love for one another and the community we experience with one another, and that should be a pleasing aroma. That should be a blessing to our city and the world. That should be what draws them in and helps people see who Jesus is and the love that he has for his people. Pastor Gary shared this in the 9:45 prayer time. Jesus praying for his disciples in John 17. I'll just share one verse from that, John 17:23. Jesus says, "I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me." You see, church, a Christ-centered community, is, it, it puts off a good and pleasing fragrance that is a blessing to the surrounding world. And church, when you experience Christ-centered community, many of you know this to be true, it is such a refreshing and life-giving thing. Look at how else David describes this unity in now in verse 3. He says it is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Mount Hermon is one of the tallest mountains in ancient Israel. It's often snow-capped and the dew that is produced around it is essential for the surrounding areas, of uh, plants and vegetation to grow and to bear fruit. The mountains of Zion are are a ways away where Jerusalem is. It's where the temple was. It's where the high priest did his work. And so David is saying that true unity, it's like the dew falling from the sky that brings refreshment and life to where it falls. True Christ-centered community is refreshing and life-giving. The text says, for it is there that the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You see, Christ-centered community, it waters the ground, it brings life, and it bears fruit. The fruit of the Spirit grows best when watered by Christ-centered community. Studying the Bible is is a great thing to do on your own, but studying the Bible in a Christ-centered community, oh, it is refreshing and life-giving. Praying on your own is great, and you should do it, but praying in a Christ-centered community, oh, it is refreshing and life-giving. Eating a meal by yourself is great. You sometimes have to do it, but eating in a Christ-centered community, it is refreshing and life-giving. Serving is great on your own, but serving in a Christ-centered community, oh, it is refreshing and life-giving church. But the question is, are we getting in the way of this blessing being experienced here? The pastors we've been we've been praying through. How can we better cultivate Christ centered community here? We've been revisiting the our, our city groups and just how they're structured and laid out and the plan for them. And and there's going to be some. I wouldn't even say a recasting of vision, more just a re reminding of what the initial intent behind these city groups was uh, when we first started them. But we're praying and thinking through how how at city group do we best cultivate. Christ-centered community. And church, the pastors, we can pray and we can strategize and we can have whiteboard meetings and we can draw out the, the, the most perfect structure and system and plan for you and city groups to do to, to cultivate Christ-centered community. But even if we got that perfect, even if the pastors just really were functioning on all cylinders, which I'm not saying we always are, but even if we were, and even if we were totally in step with the Spirit, we created a perfect city group plan for you, listen to me, your heart would still need to be prepared and in the right place to experience the full blessings of a Christ-centered community. It is not ultimately dependent upon The plan or the structure or the system, it ultimately depends on the hearts of the people. And are we getting in the way of the blessings that God is wanting to pour out here and for people to experience when they are living in Christ-centered community? You see, those that are eager to maintain and cultivate Christ-centered community Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, verse 2, he says that they are to do so with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. And I'm telling you, whatever we design Citigroup to look like, it would absolutely work if we all came into it with humility and gentleness and patience, and ready to bear with one another in love, to cultivate a Christ-centered community. But church, six years is long enough, is a long enough time for us to unintentionally hurt one another. And I recognize that. And I used to joke about how some, some denominations in the past and maybe even still today, uh, usually they would rotate their ministers to different churches every, every three years. You were kind of on a three-year circuit. Uh, they'd move pastors around every three years. I've seen some statistics that the average American changes churches every three years uh, in America. And, and the reason that those statistics are out there, the reason that those things are in place is because, yeah, after real life happens a little bit, There's opportunities to hurt one another and to be hurt by one another. And maybe sometimes we just need to go get a fresh start somewhere else and repeat the cycle. But church, when we are centered on Christ, the moving around every three years does not need to be the case. A truly Christ-centered community who's practicing who has hearts of, gent- of humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another and love, listen, we can continue to work through some of these things. And so church, let's, let's keep our eyes on Christ. Let's preach the gospel to ourselves and remind the gospel to one another. And let's then work through some of the big things that maybe are still being obstacles to true community here if there's if there's someone who has hurt you in here that still things need to be worked through then let's talk through that and let's take that to the lord and let's let's with our eyes fixed on christ let's go make things right with one another let's see how precious this is to have brothers and sisters dwelling in unity let's just not quickly throw that away Let's not remember the uni- let's not forget the unity that Christ purchased for us. Let's not settle for something just lesser and more superficial. And so there might be some big things that we as a church, we still need to talk through and work through and take to the Lord, and we need to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. But then I imagine, church, there's, there are a lot of little things. six years of doing life together. There are so many little things, church, that if our eyes are fixed on Christ, we can just let go. We can just let love cover some of those things. And we can move forward together, finding our unity and our centeredness on Christ because with our eyes fixed on Christ and remembering his love for us, remembering what he purchased for us, remembering the forgiveness and grace he's offered to us, with our eyes fixed on Christ, how can we not all continually be growing in our humility in our gentleness and our patience and bearing with one another in love? And so, church, are is there something in your heart right now that is an obstacle that is getting in the way of you experiencing the blessings that God wants to pour out on you through a Christ-centered community. Are we too quickly settling for community and not Christ-centered community? I, wanna, I will close with this, a, a quote from A.W. Tozer. He asks these questions. He says, Are we such that God can bless us Do we have this unity of determination to glorify the Lord alone, of absorption in the Lord's doings, of a determination to see the Lord work, of oneness in present expectation, of submission to the Lord, and of resolution to put away everything that hinders? If we are, then we're a united people. And we may expect any time the oil that flowed on the head of Jesus to flow down over us and bring oil and blessing and life forevermore. Oh, church, God has commanded so many of his blessings to be experienced in the context of a Christ-centered community. And so let us with humility and with gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us, let us be eager to continue to cultivate a Christ-centered community here. For we know from God's word that it is good and pleasant, that it is precious and costly, that it is abundant and fragrant, and that it is refreshing and life-giving. So may God continue by his grace to empower us to continue to cultivate a Christ-centered community here. Let's pray.